This morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And if you do me a favor, and if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, and if you do not have a Bible in front of you, you can grab the Pew Bible that's there with you, and it's on page 826 if you would like to follow along in that copy of God's Word. But if you would, if you are able, stand for the reading of God's Word in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6 through 10. I know that we're not in the book of James, but bear with me this morning. We're in the book of Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6 and going through verse 10. Again, in the Pew Bible, it's, it's page 826, if that can be helpful as you follow along alongside me. Paul writes to the Galatian church, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You may have a seat. This morning, we want to talk about those specific things, and as we do that, I want to just share for a moment a question that I've heard on innumerable occasions from people as we're in this stewardship season. Galatians chapter 6 is our stewardship verse. It's what we're going after as we enter into and as we're in this season. But you may ask the question, Mark, why do we at First Baptist Church do a stewardship season? Many other churches and many other places and many other times have done away with stewardship seasons. Why do we consistently still have a stewardship season? And it's possible that maybe you just want me to finish up this part and get to the word because you don't want to hear about stewardship because you feel like the church only talks about money. That may be how you feel. And let me just give you just my heart of why three years ago when I became the pastor of the church, I did not kill stewardship season because we've been doing stewardship season for a long time and it has tremendous value as a church. But I don't want to just preach at you. I want to tell you what we as a family do, what our family has done, and I want to hope that it spurs you on as a family or individuals as well. Today is Prove the Tithe Sunday. You may say, what in the world is Prove the Tithe Sunday, right? But for us, every season of stewardship, every week of stewardship has an opportunity that is there for me as the leader of our family, but me as an individual in our family. Improve the Tithe Sunday, what it looked like for us is we gathered around last night as a family and we got out the little Prove the Tithe card and we talked to our kids about how we as mom and dad give to the Lord through the local church. Why we find value, why it's important, why God has honored that, why God calls us to it. And we talked about what it looks like for us as a family to give our money sacrificially to the local church. We talked about how each of them had $10 and we gave them $10 and they got the opportunity to put $1 into a little envelope that they this morning put into the offering plate right alongside mom and dad. Now we usually give online so the check goes through the bank to the church but today we specifically because we wanted to show them and demonstrate them and show them what it means for us to consistently give to the Lord through the church we brought a little envelope and we put it in there right alongside them. For us, Prove the Tithe Sunday was over and above what is normally we give, but we wanted this opportunity to teach our kids and be reminded what it looks like for us to prove the tithe. For those who maybe have never given before, it's an opportunity to say, you know what, I want to see what this is all about. The Lord certainly ordaineth for us to give to the Lord through the church, and so we're going to do this. But why then do we have a commitment season? Why do we give out commitment cards to our church members? Well, again, let me tell you what it looks like in our household. This week, So it's not too late if you haven't done it. This week, 
Because we believe in what we're going to talk about in just a moment. This week, we as a family will sit down with this specific card. And we will ask the question as a Bethay family, what does it look like for us to be faithful in 2024? What is it going to look like? I know that I'm going to go on a couple of mission trips. And so we need to look at the church, our calendar and say, when am I going to go? Does it work with Brittany and the kids' calendars? When, are, when am I going to be able to go? What does it look like for us? How long can I go? How much time do I need to take away from our family? What does it look like on the full spectrum of our 2024 calendar? Uh, we need to look at our income and say, what does it look like for us to give more faithfully in a new year? These things don't just happen. We don't just wake up one day and start writing checks to the church. It does by intentionality and with purpose over a long period of time. And I want Brittany and I to be on the same page as I want our kids to see the process by which we're walking through to say, you know what, we want to be found faithful. Where do we need to serve in the church? Uh, obviously serve here, but where does Brittany, where, where does she want to serve? What does she want to do in a new year? Where does she want to influence? Where does she want to be on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings? What do we want to do with our kids and our children? What do we want to bite off that we can still be available to church? It all starts as we sit down with this commitment card. And we simply say, Lord, we may not know everything that's going to happen in 2024. We have no idea but we're going to prayerfully consider how we're going to steward our time well in 2024. We're going to faithfully pray about how we're going to steward our treasure well in 2024. And Lord, you have blessed us with talents. And so Lord, where are we going to influence? Where are we going to be in 2024 utilizing those talents for his kingdom? And so let me encourage you as individuals and as as a family, don't simply get this card, fill it out and turn it in and be done with it. Sit down with your family. Sit down as an individual and pray, Lord, where are you calling me to? What are you calling me to? Stewardship is an opportunity for us to sit down and say, Lord, you have entrusted me with an incredible responsibility. To each of us in this room, he's gifted us with incredible gifts of monetary resource, with incredible gifts of time and incredible talents. I desperately want our church to prayerfully consider not letting those things go to waste, but using them so the gospel would be made known amongst your family, your relationships, and the people that God has so put on your pathway. So this is why we still do a stewardship season because it is still of immense value for us to prayerfully consider this one time a year as a faith family what it looks like for us to be found faithful. So with that, let's get into our text this morning. Galatians chapter 6, 6 through through 10. Number one on your outline, these will build upon each one of them, all right? So I'm coming straight from the text in Galatians 6, 7 through 10. These are going to come straight forward, and they're going to build one after the other until we get to reap and sow. And I bet you can figure out what number one is, right? Do not be deceived, right? This is not a trick question. It's right from your Bible, all right? Do not be deceived, all right, we know, we live in a world that there is much deception all around us. We've learned and we looked at this summer in the beginning, in the garden, what is the first thing that the devil did but de- to deceive Eve. It's been happening since the very beginning and in our culture and our world today, there's deception happening everywhere through almost every channel and every way. We live in a culture that has been deceived, right? Galatians chapter 3, we see that the Galatians have been deceived, In Galatians chapter 3, we know that we don't just read these verses without the context by which they're written. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes to the Galatian church, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? I mean, it's almost as if if Paul were writing today and he was writing the letter to the Americans, he could say the same thing. O foolish Americans, what has bewitched you? 
What has deceived you? He goes on to say, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. And let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul is writing just in the same way that James is writing to us in the book of James. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And here he's saying, do not be deceived. We have a propensity in our culture to be deceived by so many whims and trinkets and things that lead us down so many pathways that are not fruitful. This culture is deceived. We are able to be deceived so easily by the lies of the evil one. So first and foremost, building upon itself, number one, do not be deceived. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. The enemy, your devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Number two, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Now, what does it mean? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What does it look like for God to be mocked? Now, obviously, we know verbally we could mock the Lord. You could mock the Lord through your words and through your actions by mockery. Certainly so. But in this instance, we see that God is mocked in different ways. Let me remind you, do not be deceived, that we can deceive both people around us, but also there can be a self-deception. Let me remind us this morning that God knows everything. I'm not trying to be trite, but this is true. God God knows everything. He knows the intention of your heart. He knows the rebellion in your heart. He knows the joy in your heart. He knows the temptation in your soul. He knows the sin. He knows the things that you put aside in the deep recesses and corners of your soul. He knows everything. If you turn over to Psalm 139, you'll see how clear it is that God knows all things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? This morning, be reminded that God is not mocked in the sense of he knows everything. The things that we think we're hiding from other people, from our spouse, from the people around us, the people, the things that we think we've gotten away with, the things that we think we are cunning enough to hide from the Lord and we have not. There's something in us that likes to hide from the Garden of Eden when they sinned and fell short. What do they do but hide from the Lord and try to cover themselves in their nakedness? It's what we do. We deceive even ourselves at times as we try to deceive other people into thinking that we've got it all together. But there is one who knows all things. He knows the places and times in which we have fallen flat on our faces. He knows the desire of our heart, even when we don't do an act, he knows in our heart of hearts where we're thinking, what we're feeling. He knows our anger and our jealousy and our bitterness. He knows our unforgiveness. He knows our he knows it all. And so at this point, I want to pause and just remind us because that, that can, it can inspire a little fear in us, right? I've said this many, many a time. But when we look at this, the reality of God knowing all things, he knows everything, every inclination of our heart, it can give us a little fear and trepidation and say, God knows all that. How could God still love this guy? There's no way if God knows all that that he could still love and pursue a relationship with me. But he does. That's what makes his grace 
so fantastic and so amazing. But God knows all things. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. And God is not mocked in the sense of we cannot fool him. We can't put on a good show. We can't fool him. We can't act one way while desiring. We can't fool our Lord. He knows all things, my friends. And that would lead us to number three. If we're not to be deceived and God is not to be mocked, then Paul leads us to number three, which is we reap what we sow. The culmination of the first two, to not be deceived, is culminated and we reap what we sow. Friends, this is a spiritual principle. Some may even say a spiritual law. You will reap what you sow. It's a simple agricultural symbol, but it's true as the day is long. We will reap what we sow. Spiritually and in almost every facet of our lives, we will reap what we sow. And what we invest in, what we spread, we will return. You see in verse 8, it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from his flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from his Spirit eternal life. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap in the Spirit. When we sow to corruption in our flesh, we will reap corruption in the flesh. Paul is holding up two very clear pathways in front of us. He's saying in the spiritual law, hey, you reap from your, you sow to your flesh, you will reap to your flesh and to your destruction. You sow in the spirit, you sow spiritual seeds, you will reap those spiritual seeds. Let's further examine for a moment reaping and sowing. Reaping and sowing is A, on your outline, it is whole life. It's whole life. It's not just in a spiritual sense. Friends, reaping and sowing is whole life. It has to do with your money. When you reap, when you sow wisely with your money, you will reap wisely with your finances. That's why I'm so thankful for a stewardship season, a commitment season that we give faithfully. It takes away the chains and shackles of what money does for us. It reminds us what we do when we pull together, when we utilize our gifts together as a faith family. We can do pretty awesome things an opportunity to talk to uh, a first grader about this specific point. After we gave away our first grade Bibles, we had the wonderful presentation where first graders in our church got a Bible and signed it. And uh, first graders, every time they come to church, you see those first graders carrying their Bibles and second, third graders are carrying their Bibles still. It's a, it's a really neat thing that our church does. Right? When they're born, they get a Bible. When they're first graders, they get a Bible. When they graduate high school, they get a Bible, reminding us that they are on the word of God every stage of their life. This little first grader came up and he said, Pastor Mark, and I was expecting this incredible question about the Bible or, you know, some, some wonderful thought about what this Bible meant, but he asked a question that I had not gotten before. He asked, hey, Pastor Mark, who pays for these Bibles? It's <laughs> a fair question, yeah? Who, who pays for these? I don't know if they were having some lessons at the house about uh, how stuff costs, I don't know, but who pays for these Bibles? And I thought about that question very quickly, and then it, it just, man, joy sprang up all over my face. Because there was still a bunch of people milling around, so I got to get down many eyes. I say, I want you to look out for a second. I want you to see all these people right here. They paid for your Bibles. They paid. They pooled their money. They sacrificed their resources. They gave to the church so we could buy you a Bible. Not just you a Bible, but all your friends' Bibles. 
Not only that, but we're able to get Bibles over to London and over to the Middle East and over to India. We're able to do these things when we pool our resources together. You get to contribute to that and be a part of that. So buddy, no, I didn't buy the Bible. God's people bought the Bible. So when you read that Bible, be reminded of God's faithful generosity in the way that God's people give faithfully to the Lord. When, when we steward money wisely, it loses its grip onto us to follow the trinkets of the world. But it's not just money that we're whole life reaping and sowing. It's also our time, how we invest in the time and the people around us. It's not just time that we have whole life reaping and sowing. It's also relationships. Just yesterday, we were out um, at uh, Tim Kearley's memorial service out at Gateway Golf Course. Tim went home to be with the Lord as he hit a final drive off the third tee at Gateway Golf Course a year ago yesterday. Tim Kearley was an incredible brother, a missionary for 30 years with the IMB, and just an incredible follower of Jesus all around. As we stood out there and talked about Tim and shared about his life, I was struck by how many people Tim's life touched. How many times I came into church and I saw Tim on the side of the road at a gas station pouring gasoline for somebody into their car. How many times I saw Tim Keeley at Burger King buying somebody a meal. How many times I saw Tim out there in the foyer sitting down having a conversation with people. How many people Tim invested his life into. Many of those people in Africa as he spent 30 years as a missionary in Africa, Africa. In many years here in Montgomery, as he got IDs for friends to get jobs, as he bought Burger King meals for individuals who didn't have anything, as he walked beside the dying and the hurting, there are many that he will never see on this side of heaven, but he found in heaven who he had influence and he had touched. When we invest in people, friends, we reap what we sow. In our talents, in our wisdom, we reap what we sow. And letter B, it's also for this time and for eternity. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, 29 through 30, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age that is to come. I wish I could say that if you gave $100 to the church today, you'll get $200 back, but that's not how God's kingdom economy works. That's not why we give. That's not why we give to the Lord. That's not why we give of ourselves because we don't say, if I give an hour to the Lord at church, I'll get two hours back in free time. That's not how it works. We invest recognizing that our kingdom fruit is both on this side of heaven and in the, in, in the, uh, the day that is to come. This morning, I want to spend the last few moments with the most important question that I can give you today. Maybe nothing I've said so far has really sprung into your heart, but I want to give you this last question, and this has been rattling in my soul all this week. It's a simple question. What do you want to grow? If you'd write that down for a moment, I want to give you some time to think. What, what do you want to grow? Paul uses agricultural examples here. He's, he's talking about what you reap is what you sow. What you're going to reap, you're going to get out of it, right? What do you want to grow? And I want you to press in real close as you've written that last thing down. I know sometimes we like to pack up our Bibles and get out of here, but please listen to me for just a moment. This is critical this morning. What do you want to grow? What do you want to grow? When you think about the end result of what you want to grow, it helps you understand the steps that you have to take to get there. 
As a church, we love uh, what is happening at the Master's Garden. Our Master's Garden is just this incredible oasis in the middle of Chisholm, this incredible place where crops are grown and we're able to give it to the community and to the caring center of fresh produce. And they always are growing incredible things. And I just heard that they're producing and growing strawberries right now. Well, part of that process is they plant strawberry seeds. They get the ground ready. They get the ground fertile and ready to go. They've watered it. They've gotten everything plowed out and ready to go. They get good seeds, and then they put the seeds in the ground. They're watering the seeds. They're preparing the seeds, getting them ready for the harvest that is to come. But can I tell you what does not happen? Those incredible gardeners at the master's garden do not walk out to the field and just find random strawberry plants coming forth from the ground. They don't just walk out and say, you know what, there they are, there's the strawberries. Who planted those? Did somebody plant them? We didn't plant them. As a father, I hope to grow three kids who love Jesus with their whole heart. That's what I want to grow. I want to grow three kids who know Jesus and love Jesus wholeheartedly. And as I start there, as I start with that's what I want to grow, then I have to go back and say, what am I going to do day in and day out that one day I will look back and see the harvest of that growth? What do I do? It means as a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, I am daily watering them in the word. I'm loving on them, praying for them, encouraging them. Have I done that perfectly? Not by any stretch, but this is a moment in my life looking at what do I want to grow? What matters in growth? As a pastor, I want to grow a church, not numerically, but a church that loves the Lord Jesus and loves his word. And so what does that look like today in and day out? Give the word. As husbands and wives, what do you want to grow? As individuals across this church, what do you want to grow? The answer to that question changes how you live, how you sow your money, your resources, and your time, and your talent and treasure. What do you want to grow, dear brothers and sisters? We can grow a lot of good crops. We can grow a lot of good things. But husbands and wives across this room, what do you want to grow? What do you want to see as the harvest that you will reap because you will not wake up and accidentally have grown anything? You see with intentionality, verse 8 says, for the one who sows into his flesh, there is sowing into the flesh, you will reap flesh in corruption, to the one who sows into the Spirit, you're intentionally sowing into the Spirit. You will intentionally reap from spiritual rewards and eternal life. There is intentionality in what you grow. And if you get nothing else out of what we talked about this morning, my heart for you, my heart for this morning, is that you will sit down and ask your soul, what do I want to grow? In 10, 15 years, what do I want to harvest? What do I want to reap? Because today is the day that you start doing that. Today is the day that you invest. Today is the day that you start sowing the seeds. Today is the day that you start doing that to reap the harvest that is to come. And next week, we're going to talk about part two, not growing weary and, and doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. This morning, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that we can reap that which we have not harvested. Reap that which we have not sown. Don't be deceived into thinking we can one day wake up and reap a harvest that we did not sow. God's not mocked. He knows that which we are sowing. He knows those things that we are doing. And he gives grace that is sufficient. But he is not mocked. 
and we reap what we sow. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. But I want to start in the same place that I, I want to end in the same place that I started this morning with just confession over my shortcomings. When I recognize that there is still so much work to be done. Lord, thank you for that soul-convicting word. Lord, what do we want to grow? What do I want to grow? Would you help me? Would you help us, Lord? Give us the strength, the fortitude, where we need to make changes, where we need to adjust in the places that we have been sowing and into our flesh that you would allow us, that you would give us the grace, the strength, the repentant heart that would change. As we talked about last week, that we would first and foremost, John 15, abide in you to produce fruit, that we would be deeply tied into your spirit so that we would indeed produce fruit. So help us, Lord. Help us. We say this morning in one accord that we need your help. Help us to be found faithful, to be wise in all that we say, all that we do, in our actions and our reactions, in our love for those around us, for our gospel light to shine bright. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.